This episode is brought to you by Zero Shoes, a company that is perfectly named. Why? Because when you're wearing their shoes, you feel like you're walking around completely and totally barefoot. AKA, like you're not wearing any shoes. AKA, like you are wearing zero shoes. Now, we've all heard the benefits of barefoot training, but who wants to walk into a gym without any shoes on your feet? First of all, it's gross, and second of all, it's disgusting. Now, the other benefits of zero shoes is not only are they functional, but they're also fashionable. So, you've seen many a time people walk in the gym with these minimalist shoes and they look like a freak. Not with zero shoes. You're going to blend right in. Also, they have a wide toe box so that your toes are not all scrunched together in the front like they normally are with any standard training sneaker or cleat. Now, to get your shoes, go to zeroshoes.com slash go slash Mahoney AT. Again, that's zeroshoes.com slash go slash Mahoney AT. And that zero is spelt with an X. It is X-E-R-O. Again, I'll say it again. It's X-E-R-O. Get your zero shoes today. Welcome to the episode of 6-Minute Monday where I give you six tips and tricks to make you more efficient and effective in the weight room, the boardroom, and on a football field. End. End. Actually, there is no end because there was no competition this week, and I'll get into why that was a little bit later. But tip number one, here we go. Shin splints. How to recover from shin splints or how to quote-unquote get rid of shin splints. Well, the first thing you need to do is figure out what caused your shin splints. Because if you have bad running mechanics and you run a lot, you're most likely going to get shin splints. So fix that. Fix your running mechanics. Don't be a heel striker. If your running mechanics are bad, do not lo- run long distances because you're only amplifying the, uh, the injury that you're going to get or the time you're going to take to get that injury. It's only going to get worse if you're running long distances and you have bad running mechanics. So figure that out. Now, if you do have shin splints, one thing to do is to take a lacrosse ball Put it on the outside of your shin and very, very slowly roll out that area that hurts. The second thing that I would do is I would sit on the ground with my knees on the ground, put my feet underneath my body so that my calves are touching my hamstrings and that my feet are pointing behind my body. So essentially, the place where my shoelaces would go, they are touching the floor. My calves are touching my hamstrings, and now I am sitting down on the ground, with my calves touching my hamstrings, my shins on the floor, and my feet, again, underneath my body, pointing away from me. And then I'm going to slowly, slowly roll my body left, right, forward, back, but using the weight of my body to loosen up that area on my shin. Now, with all things, with anything that's nagging you, you want to look above and below the area of the pain. So, for example, my ankle is below the area of my pain. So what I want to do, I want to work on ankle mobilization drills. I would also want to roll out my foot. So these are things that will help alleviate the pain of your shin splint. But, but, you really do need to work on your running mechanics. And maybe, maybe just maybe, that ankle mobilization is why your running mechanics are bad in the first place. It could be one of many reasons. But maybe that's causing those shin splints. So, again, fix your running mechanics. Fix the area above and below the area of pain. And also, in this specific instance, if the area of pain is your shin, roll out that area with a lacrosse ball or loosen it up with your own body weight. Okay, tip number two. Tip number two, something I am experimenting with. So what I am experimenting with at advanced training with our guys is that we usually at the end of the year, we have a tough man event, and it, it's, it lasts about a minute to a minute and a half depending on how good you are at this event. And in the past, I had focused on working on like I guess the endurance part of doing this entire minute to a minute and a half or building it up to where guys were working on 
things that took about a minute to a minute and a half to do. What I am doing now in our training sessions is I'm trying to do less and less volume and taking the tough man and breaking it into the smallest possible chunks. So if the tough man had six lengths, I'm breaking it down into like six individual sessions. Like each one of those lengths is like one segment of the event. Meaning, instead of having a guy do the slider to the farmer's walk, to the prowler, to the sled, to the slider, I'm just saying, do the slider, get up as fast as you can, and go tag the next guy who's going to do the prowler, right? Like he, oh, sorry, the farmer's walk. And we're, so we're breaking it up into a tag team. The entire tough man, we're breaking it up into a tag team. And what I want guys to do is move from one leg of the event to the other as fast as possible without going through the entire event. Essentially, what I want these guys to do this year is walk into the Tough Man event doing the entire Tough Man for the first time that day. Or even doing uh, a half of the Tough Man for the first time that day. In fact, we have not exceeded someone doing one to two lengths of the Tough Man the entire, I'll say, the season. This entire season, I was going to say summer, we haven't gotten fully through the summer yet. So again, we're breaking this down, thing down into mini chunks. And I'm really working on less and less volume. And uh, it's the first time I've done this. It's not like I've ever had anybody actually fully train the tough man before the tough man, but now I'm scaling it back even further, where again, I want them going as fast as possible from one event to the next, but not pacing themselves because uh, they're trying to get through the entire workout or they're trying to get through a half of a cycle of the tough man. So again, we're rele relegating this thing back to one to two lengths, and what I want to see is how does this carry over to the actual day of the tough man event itself. Now, there is... A, there is I do have to, I'm trying to get these guys to at least two lengths because we do have to work on transitions. We have to get from one toy to the next. That's the other secret to this thing. It's not just being fast. It's how do I get to the, how do I transition from a toy to the next? There's technique involved. So guys, we're not just going to just do sliders for 10 yards or sliders for 15 yards. We have to get you up out of the slider and then touching another toy. So that's why today in our training session, we started working on going from one toy to the next toy. And I think that's as far as we're going to go with this, but more to come. I'm going to keep experimenting. Okay, tip number three. Tip number three, a quote that I'm thinking about. Uh, I've mentioned this before. I might have even quoted this before, but I, if I'm thinking about me selfishly, scratching my own itch, the quote is, you can have your foot on the accelerator as much as you want, but if there's no gas in the tank, you're not going to get anywhere. Again, I'll say it. If you can have your foot on the accelerator as much as you want, but if there's no gas in the tank, you're not going to get anywhere. So I would consider myself a hyper-productive person but maybe it's too much. Maybe I need more time to put gas in the tank. And maybe I need to designate time during the day to meditate and refuel. And maybe I need to take one day a week where I don't do anything productive and I recharge the battery. I need to experiment with that too because I feel like I'm the type of person that needs to be productive every day or I feel like a loser. I got my checklist every day. Even today, it's Sunday. I got a checklist with like eight things on it that I got to do or I'm a loser then I, maybe I'll feel tired tomorrow. I don't know. So I got to figure this out. But again, this, this quote's really for me, but probably more than anybody else. I'm talking to myself here. You can have your foot on the accelerator as much as you want, but if there's no gas in the tank, you're not going to get anywhere. Okay, tip number four. Tip number four, something that I am reading that's moved me. It's a book called Made to Stick. I've also talked about this book before, and I'm going to talk about it again. Look, it's not a matter if I talked about things before in this podcast. I can't repeat it. Got to apply the things that you know. So Made to Stick is a book that I first picked up when I was trying to send my message in a better way, I'd, I'd say in work or anywhere. 
How do you say stuff that people are going to remember? How do you tell your players what to do on a field and they go and actually do it? How do you tell the guys you train how to train the right way or what you're looking for and they go and actually do it? And this book, Made to Stick, it gives you a prescription on how to give people or how to create ideas that are sticky, right? things that stick in people's minds. It's like, uh, imagine, you're this big boss, you walk into a conference room, you tell everybody what the plan is, everybody nods their heads, and then two weeks later you check in and no one's doing anything that you actually said towards that plan. Well, this book, Made to Stick, it actually gives you a prescription on how to do it. And one thing that sticks out in that book is that there is this thing called the curse of knowledge. So the more you know something, the harder it is to actually understand. I'll say that one again too. The more you know something, the harder it is to ex- <laughs> might even said that wrong. The more you know something, the harder it is to explain something that other people to a way in a way that other people can actually understand. So, and one thing I loved about one of my high school coaches and a guy that's my mentor now, Coach Dino Mangiero, was that he always spoke as if he didn't know something. He spoke as if he was just learned it that minute, and he, maybe he was like explaining it to fifth graders, or he was a fifth grader, but he broke it down into its simplest form. And he was very clear and direct, and he always told a good story with it. And there was always a visual with it. And that's why when he told players the right way to run handback or power, or how to run a route, it stuck in their mind because of the picture that he painted and the way that he said it. Look, coaches can tell you the exact same thing. You got to run uh, handback straight through the A-gap, right? Right up the center's butt. But it's the way they say it. It's how they say it. One guy says it in a way that's sticky, and the other guy says it in a way that you pass out. And really, one thing that I like to put in my mind, and it's in the book Made to Stick, is is if, if somebody can remember what you said a week later without you redirecting them to it or having to open something up, then it worked. I challenge all of you right now, right now, whatever company you work for, whatever team you play for, whatever it is, can you recite your company's vision statement or its mission statement. Because if you can't say it off the top of your head, it's probably not the best one, right? If, if, If you can't say what your group signifies in 10 seconds, it's not the right one. In fact, in the book, they said, here's an example of a company's mission statement. They said, close the book and repeat it. And I couldn't do it. I just read it. I couldn't even repeat it. Then they told this urban legend story of this guy. You probably heard this story before. He goes out, goes out to a bar. He meets a lady. She thinks he's good looking. She says, can I buy you a drink? He says, yeah, why not? She buys him a drink. The next thing he remembers is, or knows is he wakes up in a bathtub filled with ice. Right in front of him is a phone. It says, dial 911 right now. He calls 911. He says, listen, I don't know what to do. I got this bag of ice. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm filled with, I got, I'm sitting in a tub of ice. I don't know what's going on. I said, call 911. They said, listen, sir, look behind your back. Is there a tube coming out of your back? He looks behind his back. Oh my God, yes, there is. Sir, don't worry. Somebody took one of your kidneys. There's been a rash of of kidney uh, thefts going on. And just stay in that ice. We'll have paramedics come right now. You'll be fine. Now, this is an urban legend. And think about this. I just recited that story that I read in that book two days ago. But it's stuck in my mind. There's stickiness to that story. So that's the point of made to stick. And they're saying a story like that, you'll remember five days, five years, you know, from now, just because it's so sticky. But that, that vision, that that corporate vision statement, your football team's vision statement, your weight room's vision statement, if you can't remember it in five minutes or five hours or five days, it's the wrong one. 
That's what you need to do with Made to Stick. Sorry I went off on a tangent here, but I am so passionate about this stuff that you need to put something in place that's in people's minds. It directs everything they do. It directs every action they do. That's what will make it sticky. And then they know, if I'm not doing it, if I'm not doing that thing right now, I'm doing the wrong thing. Okay, tip number Five. Tip number five, a productivity tip. We could have just used that one because that's a pretty sick productivity tip. A productivity tip, and I'm relating this back to the book, uh, The One Thing. The One Thing has a quote and it says, what is the one thing that I can do to make everything else easier or insignificant? I'll say that one again. What is the one thing I can do to make everything else easier or insignificant? Well, I was thinking about my life, thinking about my foot on the accelerator with no gas in the gas tank, measuring everything, thinking about everything, overanalyzing everything. So for me... The one thing that I am doing, and I, I'm trying to think of the one metric that I can record that makes everything else easier or insignificant or guides every action that I'm taking throughout the day, and the one thing that I am measuring for me, and the only thing that I am measuring truly for me, is my top-end speed. And what I'm thinking is, if my top-end speed is good, then everything else is good. So what does that mean? That means if my top-end speed is good... I can't possibly be putting on additional body fat, wasted body fat. So that's why I wouldn't need to weigh myself every day or use a body fat meter every day. Again, if my top end speed is good, those things are good. If my top end speed is good, my workouts are right. My running mechanics are right. I'm getting enough sleep. I'm getting enough recovery. My technique is improving. Right? So yes, do I want to measure some of those things to make sure that those means are getting me to my end? Yes. But the overall thing that I am measuring the most is my top end speed. So to me, if that is good, then that means everything else had to have been good. And maybe during the day when I'm thinking about eating the wrong thing, is it going to impact my top end speed? Ugh, don't eat it. Maybe I'll go to sleep a little later. Nope. It's going to impact my top-end speed. Am I going to do my uh, recovery techniques before I go to sleep? Is it going to impact my top-end speed? I got to do it. So every decision I'm making over the course of a day is now related to how do I get my top-end speed up. Okay. Woo! Talking a lot. Got to catch my breath. Last one. Tip number six. Uh, strangest thing I saw all week. So... We're supposed to be in the playoffs this week. We're supposed to be in the Elite Eight and Final Four. And we had to make some moves because Galley... I was going to make a joke, but he's got a legitimate excuse. He's going to his brother's wedding in Canada. Uh, At the same time, Cortese was going to a concert. They weren't going to be able to compete this weekend, so we said, all right, we have this Elite Eight playoffs, so what we're going to do is we're just going to do the left side of the bracket. We're going to have them do their Elite Eight and them do their Final Four challenges, and then the next week we'll do the right side of the bracket. They'll have them do their Elite Eight and them do their Final Four. So we had eight people left. We were going to do the left side of the bracket this week, the right side of the bracket next week, but, but, that wasn't going to happen because Joe Moretzko threw a monkey in the a monkey wrench in the system by saying, Coach, I got to be out of training by like some extremely early hour. Even though we were going to go at 5.15 this Saturday, 5.15 a.m. this Saturday because I was going to be coaching in a 7-on-7 tournament at Rutgers all day, had to be there by 8, so we had it to end super early. He said, Coach, I need to be out of there super early. I have to get to South Jersey. This guy coaches all these baseball teams, uh, spends most of his weekends doing this. He's like, I need to be early, and Marichko is going to go against Derrida. So I'm looking at the calendar. Fine, we're going to make it work. We'll change the workout schedule around. We'll make this happen. But then, looking at the weather, 
it looked like my weather app was wavering between no rain and horribly pouring rain. I kept looking at it over and over and over again on Thursday, on Friday, and I'm like, this is just stupid. We're, we're trying to make too many things happen here. So what I did, for the sake of simplicity, was I canceled the workout and rescheduled it to today, Sunday. So the Saturday workout was canceled. It was rescheduled to Sunday. And as luck would have it, it hardly rained at all on Saturday, as the advanced training gods would do. And not a single person who could compete in the challenge championship or challenge playoffs was available to go today at all. So we had 13 people call out of training this morning. 13 people. I don't know why. Maybe Saturday night's a sick night for guys at advanced training. I definitely did not give them enough notice. I gave them basically a day's notice. So they have, they're grown men. They have to get their lives in order. But we had 13 guys call out of advanced training. So that was the craziest thing I saw all week is that when you change the day, you lose 13 guys. But we had a great day. So for the guys that came, we had a great day. We worked on that tough man tag team type workout. We worked on doing two events of that tough, t- tough man tag team type workout. So these guys got to work on their transitions. And then when that was done, we reopened the PowerPoints which I'm not even going to get into in this podcast because I'm getting tired just talking right now. But we reopened the PowerPoints and we had guys test out on the seated sled pull and their slider times. One last thing I'll say before I end this six-minute Monday was that today was a great day to experiment with scorched earth. When we got on the field at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Central Time, there was a nice dew on the ground. We were killing the prowler, killing it, flying on sliders like we were shot out of a cannon. And then midway through like our third round, Steve Armato is doing the prowler. And I could just see like he slows down a little bit and then a little bit more. And then he was done. He was like, well, weather's changing. The ground just dried up. And I, I was like, ah, maybe he's getting tired. This, this, this isn't true. <laughs> and then I went and boy, did I feel it. And I'm doing it with my stupid, I don't say stupid, my awesome zero shoes. But when you're doing a low handle prowler, in zero shoes with scorched earth, you're not getting anywhere. So even at, when I did after I finished that set, I broke out my cleats, put them on, and a massive sidetrack here. Joe Derrida, I need your help getting cleats, wide toe box cleats, because I, my feet cannot function in regular cleats anymore. My feet were screaming after my first set. Like I thought, I thought I broke all my toes, squeezing them into a regular shoe. So Joe Derrida has been helping me try to find wide toe box cleats. I need them. I need him because I cannot hang on the low-handle prowler with heavy weight on scorched earth with zero shoes. So, zero shoes, I love you, but uh, I need the cleats. need the cleats, man. All right, people, I'm going to wrap it up for this week. We're going to be back next week, hopefully with a conclusion to at least the Elite Eight and Final Four of our Tag Team Challenge. Thank you very much. Enjoy your week. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Element. That's L-M-N-T. What's Element? Element is the product that came into my life at exactly the right moment. I've been training hard. I've been sweating like a maniac. But unfortunately, after my sessions, I could never kick that feeling of dehydration. It didn't matter how much water I drank. In fact, the more water I drank, the worse it got. My body was telling me, you need more. You need electrolytes. But I refused to go and buy some sugary sports drink and put that garbage into my body. Enter Element. What's Element? It's a tasty electrolyte drink mix. That's right. I said tasty. They have seven different flavors. My personal favorite is mango chili. But most importantly, it's got no sugar. It's got no gluten. It's got no garbage. It's got no guilt. Take it 
You'll feel better. You won't feel like a bum after you drink it. You won't feel any guilt after taking it. To get your element today, go to drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Again, that's drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Get yours today.